Have you ever made a mistake, messed something up really badly? Maybe the, heard the sickening crunch as you backed into your uncle's shiny new truck, or perhaps made a mistake at the office that ended up costing the, the company more than you make in a month, forgotten a friend's birthday or your spouse's birthday. I could tell you lots of stories of times that I've messed up, that I've made mistakes. One vivid memory stands out in my mind from when I was just a little kid. The details of the occasion are a little fuzzy, but what sticks out to me and what I remember is holding a paper plate in my hands and there being a table full of desserts of every description. I'm pretty sure at this point in my life, I had never been to a potluck before. So I didn't really understand how this was all supposed to work but I knew how to put things on my plate. So I figured in my brain that the best way to approach this and the most proper polite thing to do would be to take a small sampling from each container on the table and put them on my plate. So along I went collecting this dessert and that dessert until at the end of the table, I walked over to my parents, quite pleased with myself with a plate overflowing with desserts. As soon as I saw the look in my parents' faces, I knew I had not done something quite right. I knew that I had probably gotten this actually quite wrong. As soon as they explained it to me, it made sense. Of course I'd messed it up. I had more desserts than my entire family combined could eat on my plate. And meanwhile, now there were other people who weren't going to get to taste those desserts because I had taken so many. I felt absolutely terrible about the whole thing. And as a little person, I, I remember laying awake at night, not being able to sleep because I felt so bad that I had taken all of those desserts. Looking back, it's actually a bit funny now. Just one of many cultural missteps I made as a missionary kid trying to figure out life in different cultural contexts as we move back and forth, trying to figure out all these unspoken rules and ways of doing things. Yes, some food was wasted, but... At the end of the day, no real harm was done by my little mistake. But other mistakes we make in life are a little bit more costly. The consequences are, are weightier than a plate overflowing with desserts. Sometimes we do things that hurt others, and it's not so easy to fix it again. Sometimes the, the words that come out of our mouths, we, we wish we could take them back, but They've taken on a life of their own. We act out in, in a moment of anger or frustration, and it just makes everything worse. What do we do when we mess things up? How do we make it better? Sometimes that's a really hard question to answer. Today, we're going to take a look at what God's response is to our mistakes and to humanity's mistakes as a whole. How does God respond to all the hurt, pain, and brokenness in this world? We're going to look at something called the atonement and read from Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. But first, let's take a moment and come before God in a time of prayer. Almighty God, our loving Father, at Christmas we celebrated the good news that you, the, the God who created this whole universe, became one of us and came to live among us. 
Thank you that you continue to step into our lives, meeting us in the midst of what we're going through as we already sang about this morning. Through it all, our eyes are on you, and you are there in the ups and downs of life. And so this morning, as, as we open up your word, we continue in that posture as we ask you to meet us, as we ask you to speak to us, be at work in our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. If there are places where we need to be comforted, where we need to, to let go of perhaps some guilt we've been holding on to, we pray that, that you would give us the permission to do that. And if there are places where where you want to challenge us and convict us and where you're calling us to live differently, I pray that you would make that too clear to us and give us the strength and courage to live out our faith each and every day. Give us today our daily bread as we open up your word. Feed and nourish our souls. And give us the encouragement we need to live each day for you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text this morning comes from Isaiah 52 and 53. And so you can follow along in your Bibles if you'd like, or the words will also be on our screens this morning. Isaiah 52, beginning at verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and, and what they had not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of the ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that, that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his ge generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the tr transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. 
Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made, made intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the weeks leading up to Christmas, you may remember that up here, it was all set up like a courtroom as we took a look at the case for Christmas. This morning, we're going to return to the courtroom. Only this time, things are a little bit more somber. This time, what's being shared is, is not testimony of a miracle that took place one night in a place called Bethlehem. There are no testimonies of angels, no wonder-filled witnesses sharing about bright sky, bright stars appearing in the sky. No, this is a different sort of trial. This time, humanity itself is on trial, and it's not going well for us. As witnesses come forward, the evidence against us grows. In the beginning, were you not created in the image of God, called to take care of all that has been made? Yes, yes, we were. Your Honor, I present these images as evidence against them. Look at what they've done. Much of the earth's resources have been exploited for profit. Habitats are being destroyed at an alarming rate. Pollution makes the air hard to breathe, the water unsafe to drink. But it's worse than that. Rather than using their God-given creativity to help life flourish, they use it to destroy. From the beginning, they fought and they killed. And now, generation after generation seems to invent new ways of hurting and destroying each other. Humanity, were you not called to love and care for each other? To take care especially of those who were most vulnerable, the widows, the orphans. Yes, yes, we were. Your Honor, let me show you some of what's being done in our world today to those who are most poor and vulnerable. Some countries ship their garbage overseas to places where they don't have to see it where they don't have to look at it. Because those countries need the money. They have to accept it. Workers in some places work long, long hours in unsafe conditions so that people in other countries can buy clothes for cheap, only to wear them and throw them out before they're even worn. The prosecution continues, and the case against humanity strengthens. The testimony moves from big systemic issues to the smaller daily ways that we as human beings hurt each other. Harsh words being flung across a room. Relationships going terribly wrong. The pain of rejection and betrayal. Bullying in the office and on the playground. It isn't looking good for us. The verdict appears inevitable, guilty. The jury's decided, the judge gives the verdict. Humanity finds itself in an inescapable mess. No amount of, of money or good intentions will be able to fix this. But then someone steps forward in that courtroom. A shocking proposal echoes through the room. 
Take me instead. I'll pay the price. Let them go free. The collective gasp through the room is audible, for this is no ordinary person stepping forward. No, this is the very one who's been wronged deeply by humanity. The one whose creation has been destroyed. The one whose rules have been disregarded. This is God himself. There are tears in his eyes as in the person of Jesus Christ, God steps forward to bear the punishment for humanity's sins. Isaiah beautifully captures this sacrificial act as he writes about Jesus. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, had, had gone astray, each of us going to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. Last week, Pastor Ryan preached for us on Isaiah chapter 42, and he explained that it's one of these songs found in Isaiah called the Servant Songs, a collection of songs that, that point forward towards Jesus. Isaiah 52 and 53 is another of these songs, a servant song written years before Christ's birth that points forward to the sacrifice that Christ would make on humanity's behalf. Within our text this morning, Isaiah uses a lot of different images to convey the significance of what Jesus has done. Words like transgressions and iniquities and debts point to the image of the courtroom. Jesus, a suffering servant, pays the price for humanity's wrongdoing. There's also the language of, of, of wounds, of, of pain, and of healing. In a sin-sick world, the wounds of the Savior provide a healing balm. They bring peace. The word in the original Hebrew for peace in the text is shalom, this, this sense of peace that is flourishing and, and wholeness and completeness. How does it work? How can the cross bring such transformation? For thousands of years, theologians have, have pondered this mystery, joining Isaiah in, in finding images and, and ways of trying to explain it and figure out how this all works. How could Jesus take our sin upon him and make it right? This year, we've been turning to a document from the 15th century called the Belgic Confession to help us trace some of those themes that weave their way throughout the whole Bible. This is how the Belgic Confession describes what happens in the atonement when Jesus takes our place. We believe that Jesus Christ is a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, made such by an oath that he presented himself in our name before his father to appease his father's wrath with full satisfaction by offering himself on the tree of the cross and pouring out his precious blood for the cleansing of our sins, as the prophets had predicted. For it is written that the punishment that made us whole was placed on the Son of God, 
and that by his bruises we are healed. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and numbered with the transgressors. Condemned as a criminal by Pontius Pilate, though Pilate had declared that he was innocent. So he paid back what he had not stolen, and he suffered the righteous for the unrighteous in both his body and soul in such a way that when he sensed the horrible punishment required by our sins, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling on the ground. He cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he endured all this for the forgiveness of our sins. Therefore, we rightly say with Paul that we know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we regard everything as lost compared to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. We find all comforts in his wounds, and we have no need to seek or invent any other means to reconcile ourselves with God than this one and only sacrifice, once made, which renders believers perfect forever. This is also why the angel of God called him Jesus, that is, Savior, because he would save his people from their sins. The Belgic Confession takes us from the courtroom scene to the temple, a place of worship in the Old Testament. As it introduces Jesus as a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This connection links Jesus to that Old Testament sacrificial system where they would offer up animal sacrifices as a way of trying to make things right with God for the sins of humanity. Jesus both fulfills and transcends this Old Testament sacrificial system. As Jesus offers up his life, he is both high priest and sacrificial lamb. His sacrifice described vividly in the words we just read, the suffering he went through, body and soul, become the one and only way that people can find themselves right with God. The Belgic Confession ends by, by really emphasizing the impact this has on our lives, the transformative power of this. I love the line where it says, we find all comforts in his wounds and have no need to seek or invent any other means to reconcile ourselves with God other than this one and only sacrifice, once made, which renders believers perfect forever. We don't need any other savior but Jesus. And this, my friends, is good news for us. It's good news for mistake-making, imperfect people. In many ways, humanity is making a mess of this world, but we believe in a God who is bigger than that mess, a God who shows up in the midst of human messes, a God who is able to take what's broken and somehow create something beautiful out of it. Come back with me to the courtroom again. But this time, there's a few more testimonies that we need to hear. This time, they're not about what we've done wrong anymore. No, now the testimonies are about him, about the one who stood up in this courtroom and paid the price. This time, the testimonies are sharing the impact that he's made, the transformative power of what he's done. As grace shows up, and touches ordinary lives as stories are transformed. 
One person shares about how a community gathered together for a special Christmas dinner. Ordinary people whose lives had been transformed by God's grace wanted to do something special for their neighbors who accessed the food bank. They went all out, decking the halls, preparing a feast, giving their time and energy to serve and connect. As they peeled potatoes, put together goodie bags, and set the tables, their actions gave witness and testimony to the kind of love and service that changes a person. Another shares about a driveway shoveled and salted, a random act of kindness. Yet another person shares how a, a dreary day at the hospital was brightened by cards and flowers, a community taking the time to show that they care. The testimonies continue in word and action. Grace tastes like a meal prepared with love, dropped off for a family going through a rough patch. It feels like a blanket knitted with prayer wrapped around the shoulders of a cancer patient. It smells like flowers dropped off with a note of appreciation. It looks like people from church being the ones who show up in the tear-filled times when life isn't easy and things aren't put together. What kind of people do these things? Ordinary people. People like you and me. Everyday theologians whose lives have been touched by God's grace. We wake up each day to a world that's far from perfect. And we show up with hope. Because we know that it's not up to us to save the world or fix all the big problems. We have a Savior who has it covered. Our job is to share the hope that we find with our words and our actions to give witness and testimony to the one who the angel of God called Jesus, that is, Savior, because he is the one who saves his people from their sins. Would you pray with me? Jesus, the one who saves, thank you that we don't need to look anywhere else to be saved. With your precious blood, you have set us free from the tyranny of the devil and bought us body and soul to be your very own. In your whole life on earth, especially at the end, you've sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race in order that by suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, you might deliver us body and soul from eternal condemnation and gain for us God's righteousness and eternal life. Thank you that by your power, our old selves can be crucified, put to death, and buried with you, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer rule us, but instead we may offer ourselves as a sacrifice of gratitude to you. We ask that you would continue to be at work in our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit. In the places and pieces of our stories that are broken, bring your healing and wholeness. Transform us from the inside out so that our lives may be a testimony to what you have done, giving hope to a hurting and broken world. May all that we do point to what you've done for us and bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.